Before Kira speaks, I just, we, we have a partnership notice every, every Sunday. We've tried to. And um, the, when I say a partnership notice, we've got all the things that we do, but then there are things we want to do with the community, partly through a partnership with CAS, but also with our, with our mission partners. And one of our mission partners, where well, you will know we've talked about Glassdoor and we talked about IJM, but one of our core mission partners is, is the food bank. And um, food banks uh, have various mysterious origins, but Trussell Trust, effectively the first uh, sort of significant food bank and got national attention. And Trussell Trust were a foundation Christian ministry they are still have a foundation Christian ministry, but they're not so vocal anymore about their faith. But lots of the food banks, particularly Wandsworth Food Bank, um, have a very strong faith basis and, and spend a lot of time praying as well as one near me in Barnes. We, we have a deep partnership and lots of you guys are, are dropping off food parcels here. You're bringing extra shopping in during the week and all of that stuff goes off to help uh, families who need it. Uh, and that's a really important ministry. And I just want to keep encouraging you uh, to keep bringing in those extra bits of goods. If everyone brings in one or two things a week, we have actually a really significant hoard to take down uh, to the food bank. And we're going to see a little video now uh, so you have a bit more understanding about how it all works. The cost of living is increasing, with the prices of food, bills and fuel soaring. Price rises in the shops have hit another record high. The cost of living crisis is changing people's lives. The main driver of this month's jump in inflation is food. Food banks across the UK are facing increased demand but falling donations as the cost of living crisis bites people across the income range. I've been driving many, many years and done many, many miles. But the most courtesy I see is when I'm driving my food bank van. Joining Food Bank has really given me an eye opener how generous people are and how people come together to help each other as well. Had some nice donations in some harvest ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting, although they're good donations from regular places in the past that have done it, they're all slightly down on what they were before. Oh, yeah, it's a worry because if demand keeps increasing, we have to then make sure we've got the food stocks to match. And there are a few items we're almost living hand to mouth on donations coming in. It's a problem. It's a, it is. So. Now a lot of people think, oh well food banks, that's going to be a lot of people unemployed or homeless, etc. I mean we see people who are working uh, then coming to us, especially people on zero hour contracts. You know, they have two days off ill or something and suddenly that's, their, that's money gone, you know. 
And we have other people like children need new school uniforms this time of year. And we can either do that or we can eat. You know, they can't do both. So our doors are open to everyone. because we have so many people who don't have enough food to eat. It's changing, it is changing. There's a lot of anxiety, It's really a lot of anxiety. We give them a cup of tea, a piece of cake, a shelter to cry on, Citizens Advice Bureau, and enough food until they can stand up on their own feet. Would you like me to open? Oh, why not? Are you ready? Are we ready? Yes, we're ready. Yes. Let's do this. Let's do this. Brilliant. That gives you a little insight into our local Trestle Trust food bank and where we will uh, distribute most of our food from this church. So do keep coming, please, and, and, and delivering. Remember, non-perishable goods are what we're looking for, particularly tin goods and dried foods are really, really well regarded. So cereals, pastas, tins of beans and soups and tomato purees, things like that, things that you would sort of staples are really what we're looking for. And then feminine hygiene products and nappies are also really, really uh, sought after. And uh, so if you can manage to kind of just drop a couple of things in the, in, the, in, the, in the bucket by the door every week, it makes a huge difference to so many local people. Well, it's my delight now to uh, welcome Kira uh, Taylor from HCB. Kira and I did the singleness conversations. Um, you might remember back in uh, September. So we're old friends, and um, it's a real privilege to have her. She's local. She has lots of friends in the congregation, and Kira's going to continue our teaching from uh, Encounters with Jesus. So, Kira, I'm going to hand over to you. Yeah, what an amazing, um, what an amazing thing that is that you're all contributing to that the, in the food bank. It's uh, and it's really lovely to see as well. It's like our neighbourhood. Uh, I, I'm local to the parish, so thank you so much for having me tonight. It's an absolute pleasure uh, to be with you. Uh, I'm just going to pray and then uh, dive into the reading, the passage for tonight. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of being able to meet together and worship you. Speak to us tonight and fill us afresh with knowledge of your love, of your faithfulness, and of your word. Amen. So we're in, if you've got a Bible, grab a Bible, we're in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. The words will come up on the screen, uh, if you maybe you've got an app on your phone, but they will be up on the screen as well. We're in the Green Bibles. So Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him 
since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will repay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. This evening, I would like to talk to you about the life-changing power of an encounter with Jesus. I did not go, grow up going to church. I went, I went to chapel at school or whatever, but I actually used to walk past this very building and would quicken my pace, particularly on a Sunday, in case uh, somebody tried to get me into the door. And I gave the kind of alpha posters, the big question marks, a bit of a sideways glance, and I thought, yes, I do have so many questions, but a bunch of hypocritical, judgmental Christians certainly will not be able to answer them. And then I found myself in a churchyard in Notting Hill uh, one spring morning back in 2015, and I was sitting on a bench saying a prayer. And it was the step four prayer in Al-Anon, which is a 12-step program. Some of you might be familiar with the 12 steps. And this prayer was handing my will and my life over to the God of my understanding. The only problem with that was is that I had absolutely no understanding, really, of God at all. All I knew was that I had come to the end of my own. My way of doing life had left me feeling empty, no matter what I tried to fill it with. And even though I didn't know God yet, I believe that he answered my prayer because it set in motion a series of events that led me to being desperate enough and curious enough to be willing to finally enter a church just over a year later for an Alpha course. And when I arrived on that first night of Alpha, I definitely didn't believe in God. I had a deep skepticism of religion and an even deeper one of Christians. But I also knew that I was willing to try anything to see a change in my circumstances. Because the thing is, from outside, my life seemed fine. I mean, I was okay. I had a career that I loved as a teacher. I had great family. I had great friends. I ran marathons. I climbed mountains. I lived all over the world. I partied really hard, but there was a hole inside of me. Something was missing. A deep sense of just not knowing quite who I was or where I belonged, that no marathon, no career, no relationship, or no amount of alcohol could fill. And so I found myself climbing the equivalent of Zacchaeus's tree, starting that Alpha journey that would change my life forever. Because on the Alpha weekend, 
as I listened to others share about the Holy Spirit in a pretty dingy conference center on the South Coast, something began to happen. A power came into that room and it filled it and it filled me. Tears began to roll down my cheeks and I couldn't explain why. I think all the pain, the emptiness that I had felt for so long came pouring out of me. And it was replaced by an overwhelming sense and knowledge of God's love for me. Every question that I'd ever had was answered. The hole in me was filled and I knew that my life would never be the same again. And I believe that that is something similar is what happens to Zacchaeus as he encounters Jesus, the son of the living God, and his life is changed forever. All he did was have a look. Verse 3 tells us he just wanted to see who Jesus was. He was, he was just curious. He wanted to know more. And even from afar, up from up a tree, God showed up and he met him like he met me. And I think the most beautiful part of both of our stories is that we were both broken people, like we all are in different ways. I struggled with self-worth, with filling the emotional emptiness inside of me, maybe with self-destructive things. Zacchaeus was an extortionist, basically a fraud, The fact that his name, Zacchaeus, means pure and clean in Hebrew is highly ironic because he was anything but. He was the type of man who was rich, he had everything he could wish for, but it was all built on the backs of hard-working people that he took from. Because as long as he gave to the Romans the taxes that they demanded, he could collect what he liked from the Jews and keep a portion of that for himself. And the fact that he was the chief tax collector meant that he was basically right at the top of this ancient pyramid scheme of extortion and fraud. There is not a man or woman in Jericho who would identify him as a friend or be a fan. He was so far from what would have been seen as clean or pure as you could get. But this did not disqualify Zacchaeus from a life-changing encounter with Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit made sure that he was in that right place at the right moment. He had a divine appointment with Jesus. Like I did. Like every single one of us does. If you let the Holy Spirit lead you, He will put you in the right places at the right moments for a divine saving encounter. Verse 5 tells us that Jesus looked up as he was passing. He knew that Zacchaeus was there. This was a God-ordained prophetic encounter. Jesus knows. Have you had that moment when Jesus knew your name and he called you? Perhaps you need one this evening. Jesus knows us by name and he looks up and he calls us. And it's an irresistible call. In fact, the imperative form of the Greek is used in this section. When Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down, it's a call to immediate action. If you've made mistakes, if you've blown everything up in your life, you've destroyed relationships, 
you've acted unjustly, you've defrauded people even like Zacchaeus, Jesus still knows your name and he says, come today, I must stay at your house. It's that imperative again, divine necessity. It must be, this is the day that I come to your house. It's not a request, it's a divine command and it's for every single one of us. And what I love about this too is that Zacchaeus could never have anticipated something like this because he was unclean, defiled. He had no expectations. All that he wanted was to see Jesus. Yes, he'd been willing to make a fool out of himself to do it because it was actually quite a shameful thing for a grown man to climb a tree at this time. He just wanted to see. People find it outrageous, a bit crazy that God wants anything to do with them. I certainly did, and maybe you do too. You find it hard to believe that God would want anything to do with you. But this is the scandal of Christianity. God doesn't discriminate between the good and the bad people. That is what religion does. That's what politics does. Actually, Christianity is spectacularly unfair because God doesn't look up and weigh up all the bad things and the good things that you have or you haven't done. I mean, God seems to have quite a soft spot for tax collectors. He mentions, the New Testament mentions tax collectors six times and it's all positive. This is pretty scandalous. Because if God can love the tax man, I'm sure he can love every single one of us. This is the scandal of grace. And it's for everyone. Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name. And it's because he saw Zacchaeus long before Zacchaeus saw him. He called him. He said, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. Jesus invited Zacchaeus to belong before Zacchaeus believed in him. And Jesus saw you and he called your name. Maybe you've given your life to him already and you've been following him for a long time. Or maybe you're sitting here this evening wondering whether you believe all this stuff. But Jesus saw you coming. And he's calling your name and he wants to come into your house and to your life. There is no condemnation, no separation of good and bad on who's invited to belong in God's kingdom or who can have an encounter with Jesus. This is the scandal of grace. And I wonder if this scandal is actually Christianity's validation. This is the thing that proves it to be true and sets it apart from every other existing belief system because quite honestly, no human being could or ever would invent it because it seems really unfair. But only because of how we are raised to measure fair. And particularly if you're sitting here this evening and you have been following Jesus for a long time, perhaps your whole life, or you've just tried to be a really good person, you've done your best, surely that should count for something. None of us want to admit it, 
but perhaps we could all identify a little bit more at times with the crowd who's already following Jesus, who witnessed his encounter with Zacchaeus, more than with Zacchaeus himself. The journey from being the one up the tree to the one in the crowd muttering about how unfair the love of Jesus is for those who don't deserve it is a frighteningly short one. But the thing is, we have all fallen short in one way or another. If I'm being honest, if we're all being honest, if everything was, that we'd ever said was recorded and then released, I certainly would want the ground to swallow me up. It's easy to forget that we were once Zacchaeus because we rate sin on a scale. But there lies the difference between us, between our hearts and the heart of God. God's grace can seem spectacularly unfair. But grace doesn't compare. It is the only fair thing because it's the only thing that truly does not discriminate. Jesus loves us all while we are still far off. And he loves us equally and infinitely and eternally. His love does not discriminate. In a world and a church that is full of division and strife, I believe that Jesus is challenging us all. Firstly, to come down from those trees and accept his invitation to a life-changing, saving encounter with him. And then to never ever forget that first time that we experienced how wide and how deep and how broad his love for us is. And then to love others exactly the same way. His love should change us. Because we are loved, so we are to love like him. Zacchaeus is so forever changed by this encounter that he's compelled to give back far more than he owes. He says, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. He's not commanded to give his goods away, but he does it because he wants to do that because of the radical, spectacular grace that Jesus has showed him and it changes him. He's once driven by greed and abuse of power. He's now open-handed and does far more than the law requires of him because he's been rescued from death and brought into God's kingdom. I've got some news for you this evening. Jesus did not come to be a good teacher. He didn't come to espouse religious ideas, to show us what a good life looks like, or even to give moral or theological guidance. He came to rescue us from death. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And that is every single one of us. A religious moralist says, Hallelujah, Jesus rescues sinners and he eats with them. But the true heart of Christianity says he rescues sinners and he eats with us. Some of you may have heard 
Um, it's actually, I think, even making national and international news now uh, recently about a move of God, of the Holy Spirit that began um, in Ashbury Seminary in Kentucky. It's about 10 days ago now, and it's still going. It, it came out of a chapel service with some students gathering together, and they didn't want to leave. And now people are going from all over the world to be there. And from all that I've read and I've watched, it seems like it's being uh, marked by mostly young people, although I don't want to discriminate, (laughs) being drawn in to God's presence, being humbled and not wanting to leave that place and then being compelled to deep and heartfelt repentance. I don't think it's an accident that we're heading into Lent a reminder to humble ourselves as to what Christ did for us. This is a time, it's people falling at their feet in front of Jesus, realizing for the first time or remembering that they need him, that they're lost, they need rescuing. They're coming down from their trees in droves and they're taking Jesus to their house to eat with him, They're seeking his forgiveness and they're committing themselves to radical love of others and radical holiness because his grace has pierced their hearts. I believe that God is calling us all down. He's looked up and he said, come Zacchaeus, and he's saying to each one of us, I must stay at your house tonight. So let us come down from our trees and let his scandalous grace pierce our hearts, remembering every single day that Jesus loves us so much that he died for us, that he calls us, no matter what we've done, good, bad, powerful, rich, poor, weak, strong, And this completely scandalous thing called true grace is offered to everyone. We are no worse or no better than anybody else. We are just called to love him and to love others as radically and unashamedly as he loves us. Let's be a people who are so changed by our encounters with him and by his love that we embrace a holiness in everything that we do so much so that it demonstrates to the world that there is a different way to live and to love. Amen. I'd love to just take a moment to respond um, and wait on the Holy Spirit. I believe he wants to move tonight and wants to speak to us. So if you'd like to join me, if you, um, if you feel comfortable standing, you don't have to. Uh, sometimes it just helps as well to just close your eyes and some people find it helpful to hold out their hands. It just says, Jesus, I'm open to what you want to do, but you, there's no pressure at all. Just do whatever you feel comfortable with. <laughs> 